you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what their life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. So, welcome back to another episode of Are We On Air. For this week, I have a very dear friend of mine on the show. He's a fantastic DJ and uh, events organizer and uh, producer. And he's from London or lives in London and his name is Bradley Zero. Welcome, Bradley. Greetings. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. It's been a while since we last saw each other. Yeah, the world has uh, changed quite considerably since uh, <laughs> since we last caught up. <laughs> it must have been spring last year yeah in london yeah you were yeah. in la i think working on a new venue i was planning all kinds of tours and trips and uh you know world worldwide plans and uh yeah we've been we've been forced to slow things down which maybe isn't the worst thing no definitely not. i mean there's lots of definitely I, I, bad things that have happened but i think that they've been forced to be grounded for a while is probably uh an unintended benefit of this uh, global doom <laughs> i agree i mean i had this chat with seth a couple of weeks or months ago and by now and we were like yeah how can we apply our skills that uh, became kind of irrelevant at this point uh, how can we apply them to this new world so to say right i mean that's w what it's about because obviously our world of music and nightlife and djing and touring uh, obviously is on pause and who knows how how it's going to look like in the future maybe it's a different version of it maybe it's going back to the same who knows but it's definitely an exciting time to be creative and think things through and develop ideas 100 yeah i think it's these times when you're you're forced out of your like um you know out of your like safety bubble you know it shakes you out of your routine and you have to kind of you know think outside the box for sure well uh one way to think outside the box is this little podcast series i started called our we on air and it's basically me asking the creative minds around me in my orbit uh, from all different kind of fields what the soundtrack to their life is meaning right. yeah meaning you know painting a picture of who you are what you do what inspires you and uh, just to kind of listen to what you are listening to and maybe we can pick up some good ideas um so to begin with What's your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? Oh, I guess there's a lot of things along the way, but one, one well, there's two. Maybe one is um, a little bit too early, but I have a very early memory of this um, plastic Fisher-Price tape player um, <laughs> that I used to record the radio. I used to record my dad's you know, records and CDs and used to make little mixtapes. Um, so far long ago that I can't even remember what music I was listening to. There's one thing that sticks out is a uh, tainted love like the the um the 80s soft version cell. by soft cell yeah. yeah so that i mean that's a long time ago but i remember recording that on a on a you know tdk tape in like i don't know 1991 that's a very early memory but i wouldn't exactly say formative um, the next step i guess was <laughs> was the cd revolution because my, my dad was my dad was a dj which i guess puts it in some context but he was one of the at least between people i knew he was one of the first people who had a, a cd writer so i remember wow. i remember uh being 
been completely amazed by this by you know able to take music from like the internet which even at the time was this pretty new wild concept and make a cd with it and i, w- I used to sell them in school i remember yeah selling, selling these cds for like you know three or four quid yeah. and I, but i've still got some of them i found one recently and it had i mean there was a couple of songs that standed the test of time but mostly not you know there was some britney spears on there len steal my sunshine um <laughs> some some wwf uh, entrance themes i think i had the big show on there um so yeah that that's another funny tale but also probably not formative but in terms of a formative musical like gathering and an experience that kind of i might not have understood at the time but definitely shaped what i went on to do is is going to carnival as a kid not oh, yeah. not notting hill carnival but leeds carnival so i i grew up in in the north of england in a city called leeds and it's i think it's the second biggest uh west indian carnival after Nottingham. and i used to go every year with my parents and my granny who would be following the dominica flow you know like bouncing along to soca and you know I'm, i wasn't old enough to understand like the cultural significance of it but i always just felt at home there and um my sister would be in the procession and one year she was like dancing on the stage for the carnival queen and uh wow yeah that the, the, that's an early experience that just kind of stuck with me and always felt really special and I, I used to go every year till i was about maybe like 13 and then i started going to leeds festival which was more like the kind of rock and metal and also a bit of dance music but but more you know teenage angsty music which uh <laughs> shaped me for a while to come so yeah uh do you remember a particular soca track yeah the year that my sister was was on stage uh it was the year that who let the dogs out came <laughs> huge i mean there hasn't been many crossover soca hits but i think everyone knows that um yeah. e- even if you're you know um, if you grew up in germany you, you still know that song yeah but that was sure. huge 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 um so yeah that that's the one that really stands out who let the dogs out <laughs> was nice, the party was pumping And everybody having a ball Until the fellas started in calling And the girls respond to the call I have a pull my shot on Who let the dogs out? Um, well, fast forwarding to a few years forward, I guess. How would you describe yourself with three songs? Oh, I'm, I'm not very good at these pick three songs that describe yourself uh, situation. Oh, they're impossible. <laughs> but I guess I've got to try now, seeing as I'm here. I'm looking at yeah. my, I, I'm stood next to my record shelf and the, the top shelf, which is what I can see in front of me, is is like albums. So I guess that's a good place to start. That's a good way. And right here we have Kendrick Lamar, a signed copy of Damn. Oh, nice. Where did you find the signed copy? Well, or did I actually supported him once. That's not where I got oh, it signed, yeah. by the by the way. <laughs> just thought I'd drop that in. Um, but I did support him in Manchester. But he, I sick. got the signed one just through, um, he announced it on Twitter. There must have been like a thousand copies. They, they were sold out in two minutes, but I just managed to see it at the right time. One of the few, wow. you know, positive uses of Twitter. But um, It's the damn album. It's the damn album. But you said choose a track. I'm going to choose Element. Yeah. Why exactly? I don't know. Just just um, some, something about being, uh, you know, not not stubbornly but maintaining your your kind of energy and your positivity and your actions in a way that protects it from other people's negativity i think i think it's a good a good uh, kind of sentiment to have and i think kendrick's amazing here we go i don't give a fuck i don't give a fuck i don't give a i don't give a i don't give a fuck 
I'm willing to die for this shit I done cried for this shit Might take a lie for this shit Put the Bible down and go I for an eye for this shit D.O.T. my enemy won't catch a vibe for this shit Ayy I been stumped out in front of my mama My daddy commissary made it to commas Bitch, all my grandma's dead So ain't nobody praying for me I'm on your head Ayy 30 millions later, know the feds watching Auntie on my telegram like, be cautious I be hanging out at Tams, I be on Stockton I don't do it for the ground, I do it for Compton I'm willing to die for the shit, nigga I take your fucking life for the shit, nigga We ain't going back to broke, family selling dope That's why you mini ass rap niggas better know Yeah, he stands out, I think, to his contemporaries, for sure Yeah, yeah, yeah he, On so many different levels True yeah. artists on so many levels Yeah Another song, oh my gosh Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not drawing from every song ever i'm drawing from my favorite albums that i can see in front of me <laughs> yeah perfect um ooh, what have we got here ah donny hathaway ooh. love 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 um from extensions of a man yeah one of the most beautiful uh soulful like truly heartfelt songs about love and and the the pain it took for him to wait for it until it finally came um what's the the refrain love 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 why you take so long to come to me Amazing. So yeah, Love, Love, Love by Donny Hathaway. Because, you know, I'm a sucker for a, a good love song and I like to, like we all do, wallow in sorrow from time to time, aided by by good music. <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's a soundtrack that follows you around. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's. I, I think music is good for not just soundtracking the ups, but the downs as well. And for I guess sure. I guess when we're, you know, dance floor focused DJs, we often forget the uh, the kind of more reflective power of music. And you, I think when you yeah. when you really get into the zone when you're DJing, you can you can cover both. Um, you know, you can get there on the dance floor. And I think the the most like effective deep house is melancholy and sad and it's full of longing and all, all those kind of, you know, potentially negative emotions. But but yeah, if you're playing for like an hour in, in a festival, you're not really going to have a, an emotional revelation, but you can yeah. get there. And it's a very powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah, I love these moments that you sometimes see them also like viral on, on Instagram, like where a DJ after like a long house or techno set or whatever drops like the last track or something completely off guard. Oh, I I had a few moments like that last year. I was playing at Carla Festival and um, I played this kind of ambient, um, almost like orchestral like interlude. And I was playing for four hours from darkness to sunrise. And I'm kidding you not, a school of dolphins emerged from the water just to the left of, of where we were, where the stage was, and just started jumping in and out as the sun was coming above. It was crazy. Wow. That was one of those moments. But hey, next tune, Abbey Road, <laughs> The Beatles. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Beatles I mean I could I could listen to them forever I I, I often yeah find it myself lost age. it doesn't age it doesn't age and it's just it's limitless the the kind of level of musicianship the pioneering like nature of I mean this album in particular I mean it, this has like heavy metal it has like a devotional uh holy music it's it has like ridiculous like psychedelic nursery rhymes um and everything else in between I mean where do you begin to even you know 
start to describe the I magnificence of this. But oh, which song should I choose? Um, oh gosh, I think. Well, I want you is it blows my mind every time. Just the the way it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows in intensity. It just stops at the end. Maybe uh, yeah, that would be a good one to describe. I like it. Or perhaps because nice meditative um, poem about the sky or come together. Oh, let's go for I want you. She's so heavy by the Beatles. So I feel that preempted a lot of heavy metal, which um, you know soundtracks the my adolescent period. Oh, there you go. Well, did that also influence your the creation of Rhythm Section, your label? You know, uh, what I like about um, your baby, so to say, is it's making waves in London, the London dance scene and keeps the sound of London fresh. And you hear over here overseas as well about what's happening in London through that label. And uh, I was wondering <laughs> what song you would choose from the label that kind of represents the sound. I think tough it, one. Yeah, it's. But, a I mean, th there's a few I think that encapsulate a feeling of of uh, of London um, and of the thing. You know, this thing we created. I think it is quite hard to nail because, um, as you as you pointed out, there's not a specific sound. There's not like it's not a house label. It's not a garage label. It's not a R&B label. It's not a techno label. Um, it's not a broken beat label but it has an aspect of all these things flowing through it um but i think it's also fitting for the times yeah completely i think genres are blurred you know i mean we live in a pick and choose generation through spotify's and apple music where you don't rely on a label to kind of define what you're listening to on an album or record it's more stuff i like i put it together myself you absolutely know? So i think labels should adapt to that as well in a way yeah and the boundaries that we that we kind of set ourselves before have, have largely broken down you know when i mean in our parents era you know you were a mod or a rocker or a hippie or or a punk and i, I don't really feel those definitions now P you know people have preferences for sure but it's not it's not tribal in that sense um, yeah. and, and that's one thing i've always you know chose to embrace um and i think is is something Something that that yeah that our label kind of speaks to, but I'm going to choose Pinty. Um, a because it was in front of me on this record shelf, <laughs> but B also because um, it came from a really organic, very local, um, complete kind of uh, completely by chance almost. So I, I lived in the same house for 10 years um, in the center of Peckham. I was number 13. He was number 14. So I've, I have I got to know him towards the, the second half of the, you know, my residency there. Because before that, he was like a kid. You know, he was probably eight years old when I moved in. Not maybe not uh -huh. eight years old. No, that's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> but maybe like 12 <laughs> or 13, you know, he was um, he was a youth. And I, I got to know him uh, at first through Henry Wu and then also through um, uh King Cruel, Archie, and and then you know, as we obviously had both got involved in the music scene around Southeast at the time, we we, we realized pretty quick we had lots of friends in common: Maxwell Owen, Jarman Jones, um, the 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 guys at Yam, and and he put this this record together with a lot of those people in, uh, on production. And the track "City Limits," which is produced by, is the is the name of the EP and the the last track on the album, produced by King Cruel under his DJ JD Sports alias. It just it just sounds 
feels like like London, you know? It has that that kind of burial-esque night bus feel to it where it just evokes a certain time and a certain space um, in, a, in a way that isn't trying too hard and is almost kind of uh, very, very hard to define, but just nails it. So yeah, City Limits by Pinty. It's raised off a tape by Skimmer I learned the streets of Skinner Where the walls are thin and the grey cloud Thick TikTok and another day's dust as a drowning smog Follow my fog, I'm looking for time on the Casio Foss I got God on my watch, monks that have sums and that have nots Thicker the plot, quicker we rot, along as I trot This all that we got, start to connect these dots Like time ain't lost, man, it's just changed Back then all that ever came The good old, the good old night bus, I like that you use that as a reference yeah. It's such a London thing Yeah I remember when I left London, it must have been uh, 2010 And Peckham was already starting to happening And I'm curious... Because, you know, Southeast London really became a hub for young creatives. Obviously, it was a bit far off from the center, so it's cheaper, the usual story. But what was it about? I mean, just in your neighborhood alone, the people you just mentioned, they all became household names, you know, in music. Um, uh, yeah. Why is that? I, I think it was a mix of all those things. It was it was uh, cheap because there was no transport or not much transport. There was no overground. Uh, there was no tube. There was not that many buses. Like if you wanted to connect to the other kind of young uh, happening, arty areas of London like Dalston or, or Hackney uh, Clapton blah 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 that was like three buses and it would take mm-hmm. you know it could take you an hour and a half to get there um, that changed a bit when when the overground did arrive and then it kind of pushed the prices up and you know the, the typical kind of story of gentrification that we've all heard a thousand times over but but before that there existed this kind of uh, yeah this, this community that was not completely separated from the rest of London but just felt a bit locked off you know so and there wasn't that much to do like 10-15 years ago in terms of like a young creative person yeah there was just a couple of places to go so everyone knew each other um the area was surrounded by art schools and music colleges so a lot of the the kind of uh, the pull for students there was specifically like art and music based kind of um, pursuits mm. and it just became a very tight-knit community and a very um self-reliant kind of supportive space where we almost felt you know like we were kind of doing our own thing and it, and it and through that there evolved like you know different styles different sounds different approaches um and i think that's what this kind of south london uh, i guess wave emerged from but it, it wasn't just uh, music based it was just as much to do with like the arts and uh, yeah a lot a lot of art, art students kind of just yeah. just finding ways to do things on the cheap lots of warehouse parties lots of uh, mm-hmm. squats um yeah it was an exciting time i remember though i remember that <laughs> Um, Well, another important part of your life uh, was Boiler Room, as you were one of the early pioneers. And I was wondering, did you guys realize what cultural magnitude it had at some point? Yeah, but it it all happened so quick. It was hard to even like have time to take it in, you know. I I joined when there was three people working. um, And when I left, there was maybe 100. And now there's maybe 200, you know. Um, Maybe there wasn't 100 when I left, but it was was going up. (laughs) But we, we didn't have time to stop and take stock. It was like... Like, it was crazy. We, we'd be doing a show maybe three, sometimes four times a week. Um, <laughs> you know, I went from putting on local parties in a in a pool hall and playing at like friends, you know, student nights 
to like getting flown out to Detroit to host Richie Horton. And like, <laughs> it was mad. It, it was what the hell was going on. <laughs> and um, I think I, I was there at a really exciting time when it was a new thing, when it was an independent thing, when we didn't really have any burden from um, sponsors. Um, and we kind of had pretty low overheads and just like carte blanche to do what we wanted. Um, I think like any business, it's had to grow and it's had to um, find a way to, to keep... Maintain um, the original... Ma- ma- well, identity. not only maintain the original kind of... Uh, idea but also just to fund it you know uh, mm. and i think they've it's been a it's a hard tight walk to rope tight walk to rope tight rope to walk <laughs> um but I, th- I think i think they're doing a pretty a pretty good job um but i was definitely that lucky to be there in like the golden era when it was essentially the blind leading the blind a bunch of really excited kids just like given this free pass to just put on crazy crazy events and have access to you know the kind of like what well, heroes essentially it was yeah. a, it was a mad time it's funny because when boiler room started it was kind of pre-instagram right the pre-insta life oh yeah uh, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's now it's very common and very easy to access right you can do it from your home now yourself with nothing besides your phone but back then it was i mean it, it was an idea you know and there was a way to figure it out yeah um so yeah i mean the, the one thing you saw during the lockdown or the quarantine was literally how many domestic discos as Jarvis Cocker would call it mm. uh would, would you see you know everybody i, I myself included you know put up a show or a dj set or <laughs> kind of interesting like in the beginning obviously you had more viewers after a while people kind of got bored and over the insta live function but i never used insta live before until then right like yeah. most people but yeah well there you go do you remember a particular moment that your fa- do you have a favorite moment at, during your boiler room days yeah the, well the, there's a lot as you can imagine but one one of the mm. most profound or at least to me was um was by a band called the invisible but it, it never got uploaded i think um literally like the the memory card we were recording on glitched and we lost the no we lost everything oh, but but that was yeah just 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 incredibly profound and 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 um moving as a as a performance but you know i was also there for Mr. G, I was there for uh, DJ EZ. I was there at the hotel with Disclosure and Scream, and I was at the the Grimes. um, You know the. This now uh, almost mythical grime set at, uh, in Ibiza that so, never got uploaded afterwards, right? Well, there was a there's a whole campaign free grimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they uploaded they uploaded about thirty seconds of it or a minute. Um, but what, yeah, what happened there? I think she was just trolling, but kind of just trolling, but also just like playing the stuff that she grew up listening to. She's not pretending to be a DJ. I think she's just friends yeah. with Richie Horton, and he asked her to play. And rather than kind of trying to be something she's not and pretending to like play, I don't know like minimal techno because she's at the enter house party she just played like venga boys and yeah. britney spears and um i guess a lot of the more kind of saccharine pop which has no doubt like now, um, influenced now her sound yeah, it definitely has influenced the sound, but also it influenced or that whole thing. Now you see it more on the so-called mainstream level, right? Yeah. She was kind of, in a way, pioneering with her set, believe it or not. I, I, I think. Yeah. Even though it was a lot of, I, I presume. Some well, we all grew up with these songs, and everyone knew them, but no one had dared just like but, put yeah, them but back. That whole kind of, yeah, that whole nineties pop slash Euro electro sounds yeah it, it influenced everything you see today from streetwear to uh, music right so I, I i do think she was kind of in a weird way ahead of her time when she played that set but the main thing is she just didn't give a fuck like yeah, she, yeah of course she's a yeah. singer she's an incredible producer <laughs> she's got her own thing she's not trying to be a dj yeah it's not a world where 
that she particularly cared about making a good impression. And she's just having a good time. And it was fun. I think Ballroom should upload it. I think <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a big hit, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would be um, now. It would, it would break the internet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, especially if you call the the give the give the whole set a title and it's the name of her new baby. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> um, well, you also you want I think one of the reasons why we kind of got in touch was was it a year or two years ago for Burberry were talking to them about some music stuff, and I uh, introduced you to them as I think or I know that you are one of the faces and creators of the. Exciting London nightlife today and the music scene. And I'm curious how you see the development of the past 10 years and where do you think the London nightlife music scene is heading to? Ooh. Um, I mean, the, the last 10 years has been very interesting because it's gone from like, you know, I, th I think 10 years ago, there was a lot of really big warehouse raves with tons of people on the lineup. The the emphasis on like staying up and really late or having a really loud sound system and like, you know, 45 minute DJ sets. Um, and I I came in to kind of pr provide a, an alternative to that and wanted to go back to very much a kind of community based, like regular gathering on a small scale where you can see people, where you can hear people, where there's maybe one or two DJs playing all night and the, and people come for like, uh, you know, the, the, that, that sense How it of- used to be. Yeah, like a club, you know, a club, as yeah. in a club that you want back to be Back to the art of. of resident DJs. And I, I really like that. You know, I also enjoy a big warehouse blowout every now and again. But um, but my my kind of uh, sweet spot is like small to medium sized room, not on a stage, being able to see everyone around me, and and feeling that it's like a a regular cast of people who are coming in and out, and it's you know always evolving, but there's there's a there's a feeling of community, um, and I achieved that, and that was amazing, and and I think a lot a lot of other people have also done. I mean, I'm not trying to say I invent, but since in the last 10 years, there's been a few people who have also done similar things, um, amazingly well. And And, and I feel, yeah, it was, uh, I think London Nightlife was in a really good place. People will always have other things to say, but I think London Nightlife is quite different to a lot of other major cities in that it's not centered around specific clubs and venues. You know, in, in, in Berlin, it's that the culture exists around just a couple of venues and there's, there's a few promoters as well. But um, if you want to go see people, you go to, to that certain place at a certain time and everyone's there. London never really had that. There's not a club that you can just go to and expect to, to be part of something. Well, um, I think the geography of it plays a big role in that too as you have all these different pockets because it's such a big city yeah right? yeah quite possibly quite possibly but i think people were really have been proactive in creating that from their like uh collectives and um, initiatives um and yeah a lot a lot of festivals have popped up and there's been some exciting things going on in the last few years where it's going i mean it's so hard to to say but i think it's it's definitely going to be an enforced return to that more kind of grassroots level because as well as well as as, as these kind of community-based um you know relatively small medium-sized dances run by collectives that uh, have definitely made a resurgence also so as the the huge scale you know the the e-ones the um the print works the um what's the big one in north london called where they did circo loco uh anyway it, it's like 10,000 capacity indoor venue you know there's also been that side of things as well tobacco docks no there is tobacco docks but it's yeah. anyway it, yeah, it's, well, it's yeah. in uh, like edmonton in tottenham big 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 venue run by the same people as printworks uh and you know and you've also got the domination of of the likes of uh you know the colombo group 
XOIO, um, who are, do really good programming, but run it from a quite like um, business-minded approach, which I think is great that they choose to support the kind of music that we exist in. But it sometimes is a bit stifling for other other smaller promoters to come through, um, just because they have a lot of influence and a lot of uh, you know power in terms of the bookings and uh, exclusivity and things like that. Mm. Um, and I think the reality is a lot of these larger venues and larger promoters are going to really struggle because the i mean it's hard to to kind of guess what will happen but i think it's going to be a very slow um you know walk back to normality and it i think the the first people that are going to be able to open are the 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 micro venues and then the small yeah. venues might be able to operate at half capacity but because their overheads aren't that big then they'll be able to kind of continue and work with you know unknown or very like local um newer djs who aren't going to be asking for huge fees and people will obviously want to go there because people want to go out and it'll be affordable but the the big venues who need to get 2000 people in just to break even uh it's going to be a real struggle and and i do yeah. think that there is a room and i think it's good that you have a whole range of um options and that the economy is diversified it's i'm not just saying that these these big guys should uh, should not be there because um it's getting in the way of the small promoters no i think there's in a healthy kind of uh, uh economy there's room for everything but it's just going to be a big big shake up so it, it will be really interesting sure. to see what the what the bigger venues do and also sadly I think a lot of the festivals are going to really struggle because a lot of them are putting everything on one day or maybe one weekend. Um, mm. And, you know, we've been locked down from March until probably, well, we're not locked down anymore, but there's not big events yeah. on. Yeah, the big events and the big festivals and clubs, they're going to be the last in the food chain to Exactly. Kind of it's kind of, um, it's, it's like a yeah. reverse of what the situation was before. They, they're going to be the yeah. ones that are like left out. So we'll see. Yeah. It, it's I think it will be a return to a more grassrootsy kind of uh, local-based um you know uh nightlife with yeah. young young and unknown people having a chance to come through and also a lot of illegal raves i think it's going to be um for sure you know <laughs> the second or third summer of love yeah i i mean this applies not only to london i think this applies to everywhere really to all the big cities or countries around the world who are affected by this but which is pretty much every country but uh, i also think it kind of creates this petri dish of uh, as you said more local more homegrown and uh, it, hopefully it will come will, will come with like a, a new movement out of it musically speaking right yeah. like uh, the berlin wall coming down the roaring 20s disco it all comes out of the ashes so to say so i'm really kind of looking forward to this in a way uh obviously let's disregard the negative side of things but th there might be a flower coming through the ashes right so this is yeah. actually exciting y you'd have to hope so and my only yeah. hope is that it doesn't just shift all the power to um to you know uh, an almost impenetrable like huge corporate figure like in the way that you know a lot of shops have struggled and everyone has just gone to amazon where all, where all the independent local um retailers are, are collapsing and closing and not managing to open the, there's this one like bear moth just just um growing and growing I, I hope that doesn't happen with music because obviously a lot of like larger festivals and um larger venues are going to struggle but are they just going to all get bought out by like live nation or by like the <laughs> saudi government like that would be or amazon even Can you imagine amazon <laughs> whole food clubs yeah. that that would be the worst thing that could happen because they are the people that have enough like um capital to like shoulder any recession do you know what i mean yeah. so i really hope that it that it's divided between the uh you know the people at the bottom of the food chain like the the young the young ones coming up and that it's not grabbed well 
talking about music, let's go back to some music. Yeah. What's the ultimate London track for you? Um. Oh, ultimate London track. Oh, I think for me, it, it would have to be some dubstep because when I when I first moved to London was 2006, and it was um that that was when this new sound, this new hybrid sound, was just emerging. It was a really exciting time, and I I'd heard a little bit of it in Leeds um at Subdub, which is a kind of a yeah sound system night um put on by Irish and Steppers which is largely like UK Steppers dub like very heavy almost techno like uh Steppers but they they used to invite um Digital Mystics up to do um what they called the Exodus every few months so just before I moved to London I'd seen like Marla Scream Benga Koki Sergeant Pokes all that crew in Leeds on a huge dub sound system and just it was mind-blowing because it was just completely new and they just seemed to mm. have mastered this sound that at the time no one had even really managed to even put into words and what then year I, was that? that that would have been 2006 yeah like summer of 2006 wow. and then moving to London in the September of 2006 um, and at the time going to a lot of drum and bass raves but the room two at that time would, would be dubstep and uh, yeah just just it, it was a spiritual thing man I think it's easy to forget that where dubstep came from but the early days it was really um, like a kind of seance like a really uh, meditative coming together um, and it, it got twisted into something completely different over time but back then it just felt like you were part of something completely new and very like almost like sacred so yeah which tune to pick out of that era I think it would be there's one tune I've been listening to lately so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that one Changes by Marla What's your go-to falling in love or heartbreak song? Oh, well, I already gave you some Donny Hathaway. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, dear. I, I mean, I don't have a go-to, but the I think once once your heart's been broken for the first time, you, you, you'll always remember that song. Um, but I try not to go to, uh, <laughs> go to the heartbreak too quickly. I mean, Bill Withers... Who's sadly no longer with us? He would be a, a pretty pretty major candidate in the in the falling in love uh, realm. And I'm I'm holding his album right now, still Bill, and looking which track might be the most fitting. But I think for falling in love, it has to be the track "Kissing My Love." Yeah. When I'm kissing my love. So um, the next step of falling in love would be what's the sexiest song? Oh dear. Ah. <sighs> 
Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if I've got so many. Uh, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Hmm. Hmm. This is a tricky one. You'd be surprised the answers I get. You would think you would hear Marvin Gaye and so forth all the time, but no. People have all kinds of ideas and feelings when it comes to sexiest. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean. Oh gosh, an obvious one would be like D'Angelo. I mean, yeah, you go can't, for it. You can't really go wrong <laughs> with the, with a bit of that. But then there's it depends what kind of what kind of loving we're talking. <laughs> Even there, the opinions kind of separate. <laughs> what I, I'm going from this top shelf again, which I think is a good place to, to I, go. From. I think it's great. I love it. I and mean, that's um, why we're doing it. We're kind of digging your digging through your records. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's if it's sexy, but there's something just really tender and honest about it, and you know that could lead to a bit of sexiness and um it's prototype by outcasts from the love below love it not not instantly sexy but it's it's uh it's that moment of realization isn't it and uh yeah i hope that you're the one if not you are the prototype yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it has a nice slow slow bounce to it you know it's a nice it's a nice groover (laughs) i like it To wrap up our little chat, um, if your life would be a movie, what will play in the end credits? I thought about this quite a lot. Um, also, like, you know, funeral theme songs and uh, things like that. I don't know if I've got it here, but I think it would be a track by Jeff Buckley. Ooh. Um, Eternal Life. I think it, it, it's a good way to end. Do you know what I mean? Even Maybe I die at the end of my biopic, but... <laughs> This song would uh, ensure that this was merely the beginning of the next phase. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's an epic. And I, yeah, I mean, Jeff, Jeff for me is, oh, where to even begin? Such, such an inspirational kind of uh, poet and uh, singer, guitarist, and definitely the soundtrack of plenty of, you know, heartbreaks and, uh, and uh, falling in loves. But I think with this track, he just kind of nails that youthful almost like naive belief that you just live forever um whether you are you know within body or not so yeah eternal life by jeff buckley my friend it's been a pleasure and it's good to see you only even though it's just over facetime but still here we are yeah really good to chat i enjoyed this and i'm glad um i hadn't prepared any answers because i would have overthought it and uh it would have been less spontaneous so thanks for um 
It's bringing that on me. My pleasure, my pleasure. And hope yes. to see you soon, and hopefully we can boogie on the dance floor. Let me know when you're in London, man. I will. <laughs> All right, take care. Did you really think this bloody road would break the way for you? You better turn around and blow your kiss alone. Your life will turn a For this episode's playlist, visit areweonair.com where you'll be able to enjoy the full playlist mentioned in this conversation.